0: Welcome to this recording from Crossroad International Church. In this message entitled, Follow Me, again, we will take a look at the love and patience Jesus has for us, even when we fail Him, as well as His invitation to trust Him and follow Him no matter where that may take us. We pray that God will use this recording to minister to you and help you step out into what God has called you to, and to trust Him to see you through. We now join Pastor Dell in the message already in progress. So if you turn in your Bibles with me today to the Gospel of John, chapter twenty-one, I'm going to be reading uh, verses one through twenty-two. So, so all right, verse twenty or chapter twenty-one, verse one, Gospel of John. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way: Simon Peter, Thomas called the Twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, "'I'm going fishing.' They said to him, "'We will go with you.' They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, "'Children, do you have any fish?' They answered him, "'No,' He said to them, "'Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.' So they cast, cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in, because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple who, whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.' When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish." Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we just thank you for this time together now. God, I pray just that um, you just minister to us now, Lord God, that you would uh, just speak through your word and through this message to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for what it is you have in store for us today and that we leave with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, again, we're going we're gonna to look at Peter. Peter is like, he's the guy that always gets the bad rap, doesn't he? We're always using Peter as the example of don't do this, right? He, uh, he was a very uh, just loud, boisterous, confident, sometimes prideful guy who's always in the limelight who's always acting out. You can tell his heart, though, is to do the right thing, but he just can't seem to quite always find what that is. And uh, as we get into this, I was, I was thinking about um, sometimes with my children, maybe with your children, or, or maybe sometimes even us as adults, we really have a hard time following instructions, don't we? Yeah, I do. I, I'll admit that. Um, of course, I'll use my children as an example instead of myself today. But it's so funny because you'll tell your, one of my sons, I say, you know, like in the mornings for church, every Friday, it's like it's a surprise on what's happening, you know, and how to get dressed and get ready. And so, you know, hey, listen, get up, get yourself some breakfast, get your get a shower, get your clothes on, the, you know, we go through the whole thing. Okay, you're lucky if you get like two out of five things, if they accomplish that on their own. We'll go out, we'll in the living room, and they're just like staring at a cloud outside or something, you know? with like one sock on and, you know, no shirt or whatever. It's just funny how we, you know, had this hard time. To follow instructions means, you know, if you have five things to do, then you need to do all five things. If you don't do all five, you haven't followed the instructions, right? And so it's very similar what we see here with the disciples, because um, here they are at the Sea of Galilee. And in Matthew 28, 16, it was, it was made clear that you were supposed to, they were supposed to go to Galilee. They were supposed to meet Jesus in Galilee but at the mountain in Galilee, not at the Sea of Galilee. So they got it kind of right. They were sort of in the right area, but they were fishing. And they all were following who? Peter, right? Peter had the bright idea, hey, let's go fishing. Okay, let's go fishing. So there's lots of thoughts around why they were fishing, if they were backslidden, if they were hungry, if, who knows. But anyway, they weren't at the mountain where they were supposed to be. And so here, here is this scene of the fishermen in the boat, and Jesus comes to the shore, right? It's, it's really kind of, is almost like a shadow of another scene, right? When he, when he first came up to Peter, what was Peter doing? He was fishing. It's kind of this, almost like a repeat of what, when he first came to Peter to, to call him, to, to follow him. And so it's, it's again, the same scene, and, and so he's, this stage is being set. As again, the title of the message, if you can go back, the title of the message is Follow Me Again, all right? And so Jesus had called Peter and the other disciples to follow me, come follow me. But here we are again, and here comes Jesus on this scene, not at the mountain where they were told to be. And so Jesus calls to them from a distance using the term Padia or paideia, Which literally means children or boys still under instruction. They had walked with Jesus, been taught by Jesus, had access to Jesus 24-7 for about three years, and yet he's referring to them as children or boys still under instruction, these grown men in a boat fishing. And so Jesus, again, is, is, is saying, what are you doing? Just like when I come out to the living room and my Child is standing there, staring out the window, like, "What are you doing? Where's the rest of your clothes at? Why aren't you dressed? Why haven't you eaten?" Jesus is calling to them, "What are you doing?" Right, children, what are you doing? And so, if you ever stop, I mean, we read through these these uh, these accounts in the gospel, and if you ever stop to kind of think of the whole scene, I just see like, you know, they're fishing and they hear Jesus at the in the distance and they see him and this children. And and so then John's like, hey, wait a second. Hey, that's Jesus. And so John, I see him just like turning around, like to start getting the nets in to go, you know, meet Jesus to take the boat. And then all of a sudden he just hears this splash. He's like, he turns around and here's Peter. And it says he just throws himself into the, the water. It's like, there's no graceful dive or anything. He's just reactive. This is Peter, right? The guy that chops ears off with swords and everything else. And so he doesn't know anything else. And so John's probably like, you just left us here to get the boat and everything. 100 yards out. So Peter's swimming with all of his clothes. And so you see this scene, and it's kind of humorous because it's Peter in a nutshell. Like, doesn't think, just like, I'm going to get, I'll swim. I mean, I, in my mind, too, I see like the boat sort of passing him by as he's swimming as the rest of the disciples get to shore. But that's just, you know, my thoughts. But it's just funny. You can see Peter's uh, personality really coming out. And so Peter is really, really excited about seeing Jesus, isn't he? I wouldn't jump into the water for just about anybody if I'm 100 yards offshore. There's not really too many people that I would do that for. So you can see Peter's excitement. But it's, he's excited, I believe, at first. So I, I see again Peter's swimming now with all of his clothes on. He's probably getting tired. So maybe he's on his back and doing kind of the backstroke. And he's pretty soon he's thinking. And suddenly, I think he's overwhelmed and flooded with the emotions and the reality of what had happened when he denied Christ. I think he, that excitement of seeing Christ as a, alive, and here he is calling from the shore, he's going to him, but then as he's going, he's like, I need to look face to face now, and I'm going to see Jesus and talk with him, the one whom I betrayed, the one whom I loved, and the one whom I promised I would never betray, but yet I did. In Matthew 26, 31 through 35, it's when Peter boasted about his superior love and loyalty even more than the others, if you recall, if you want to look at that. He, just, he boasted about himself like, I will never leave you. I will stand there with you no matter what comes. Perhaps Peter was learning to forget his shame by returning to what he knew in fishing. Maybe he had been learning how to deal with it. Imagine the guilt that he had been under. Not just, not just denying Christ, we watched a, a movie, I, I believe it was one of the Jesus, I think it was Son of God, I believe it's called, and there was an interesting shot in the movie and it's, it's the first time Peter denies Christ and Christ is turned over and, and Jesus, he, somebody hits him and he falls to the ground, Jesus does. And Peter kind of gets wrapped, he's close by in this crowd and the crowd, that's when they first recognize him and and he gets pushed to the ground and as he's laying on the ground he looks over and he sees jesus laying on the ground looking back at him as he first denies christ and i'm just i'm thinking about again this whole this whole idea of he's going through this in his mind of of his denial but not just the fact that he denied christ but he was completely absent when jesus died on the cross he was not there at the foot of the cross with Mary and John as Jesus breathed his last. He may not have even been in eyesight. I don't know. But, you know, so these whole, all of this guilt, all of this shame is, is just flood, has been flooding him and he's trying to get his footing. And, you know, again, Jesus, it says his, his third time, uh, according to the Gospel of John, it's his third appearance And so, I mean, he's seen Jesus, but to have a conversation, I mean, this is something that's about to happen, and he's terrified. He feels like a failure. Perhaps Peter was ashamed for leading the others away from what they were supposed to be doing. Again, it's not super clear why they were fishing, but he was the one who had the idea. So had he been influencing others to follow him, I don't know. But all these things, obviously Peter is under a lot of stress and not sure exactly where he stands with Christ. There's uncertainty. I mean, Jesus had made, he's like, I, you know, he called him rock. He, he, he again had all this, Peter was supposed to lead. He was supposed to be the leader of the disciples. We're kind of like this, this situation, what we see, we, we start well and we, we make these promises. I mean, I know, okay, I'll just use myself, Well, how many people have always said the prayer, Lord, if you just do this, I will follow you forever. Lord, if you just get me out of this situation, I will do anything you want. And you get out of that situation, and then God calls you to some far off land or tells you to give give everything that you own away. And we're all like, I don't know about that much, right? We kind of need a, can we come back to the table and do some renegotiation here? That's, that's how we are. At least that's how I am. That's how I am. And so we're, we look at Peter as an example, but I think the reason everybody picks Peter is because we see ourselves in Peter a lot of times, don't we? Peter just messed up all the time. but He finished well, though, didn't he? He finished well. And so one of the things that, that, that stood out to me about this is, is as Peter's coming to Christ, there's something... When Jesus comes into view, it's one thing when we compare ourselves to other people, and that's what we tend to do. We, find, we like to find people that we feel that we're better than them or doing it better. But something about when we put our eyes on Christ, that's when our own sin becomes very clear, isn't it? We see our sin for what it is because we're in the presence of an almighty God, a sinless Savior. And our sin becomes very evident. And this is what Peter is dealing with. And in verse 15, in chapter 21 there, if you look, this is profound. You see, Jesus doesn't refer to Peter as Peter this time, does he? He says, Simon, son of John back to his original name and recognize, recognizing him in his natural state more than the God-given name of Petros or Peter. So imagine Peter again, just oh, this feeling of guilt and shame, and then Jesus comes in with this term, and he knew exactly when he said, Simon, son of John. Doesn't call him Peter anymore. Peter's like, oh, no. Oh, no. But Jesus had a, a reason and a plan for this. And he goes on to say, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than these. Again, there's speculation of what these are, but ultimately, you know, everybody kind of has a consensus that it's, he's probably speaking of the other disciples. Because he's referring back, remember, to Peter's boasting that I will stand, I love you more than these others. Remember? Remember? And so now Jesus is like, he's, he's checking Peter. He's like, Peter, where are you at? So Simon, right? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these other disciples? Okay? And again, if you do word studies, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but there's the, the words for love there kind of change and things, and there's uh, two versions, agape and phileo, one's brotherly and one's more like the way God loves. And and so, again, I'm not going to land on that today, but Jesus is asking Peter, do you have this deep love for me? And Peter answers in a very humble way. He says, you know, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. This is very different. This is very different. He's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, he's not no longer the proud, prideful Peter, but he's been humbled and he's teachable in this moment. And so Jesus is, says, then says to him, feed my lambs. And the idea here is, you know, lambs are young. You know, it's, it's, it's like an initial restoration step that happens here. And then Jesus asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says, tend my sheep. Again, lambs, and now sheep are a little older. He says, tend to them. So he's slowly restoring Peter as he sees Peter's heart. And his, Peter's basically, he's just broken. But Jesus has a plan, and he's restoring him. And then the third time, the third question, if you look in your Bible here, it's in verse 17, it says, He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, how many times did Peter deny Christ? How many times does he ask him if he loves him? Three times. And so this last time, he asked him, Do you love me? And now Peter was grieved, it says, because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And it, the, the term for grief here is the same kind of grief or it's pain and agony associated with a woman giving birth to a child. They, they refer to it in some commentaries like it's almost to the point of death. Sorry, Stephanie. That's what you have to look forward to. Stephanie's going to give birth here any day. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> But there's this idea, ladies that have children, you can attest to this, there is an immense amount of pain that comes to give birth to a child. This great joy on the other side of it, but you go through this grief and this pain, you know, and suffering. And this is the kind of thing that Peter's feeling. It's being associated, because John uses in another place to refer to a woman giving birth, uses the same term. So Peter's grief here. The third time, and he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Peter is just done. And Jesus, I believe, when he says, feed my sheep, at that point, Peter has been restored to his place where he was before, before he denied Christ. Jesus had a plan, and he restored Peter to the place where he was before, and then Jesus goes on to say in verse eighteen, "Truly, truly." Anytime you see anything repeated in the Bible, that means to pay attention. This is a very important statement. So Jesus is saying, "Truly, truly," and he goes on. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself. The word "dress" there it kind of means to tie, and their with their apparel they would sort of tie things up. That's the term that's being used. That's the idea. To, so to tie, your like your belt or yourself, and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and it, another will dress, and again, that word tie makes a little more sense. So it says, and another will tie you and carry you where you do not want to go. And as it explains there, this is talking about the way Peter is going to die. Peter is going to give his life. You see, Peter at this point, he Jesus is... Gives him a commission and a cross, a commission and a cross. But this time, Peter doesn't run from it, because really, if you th- you know you you ponder on it for a moment, at that point when Jesus was handed over and Peter was recognized, Peter was in the same danger as Jesus was. If he had stood and said, "No, I am I am who you say, who I, who you say I am, and I am a follower of Christ." He could have easily been on the cross next to Jesus if it was his time. But for whatever reason, that didn't happen. But this time, the cross is put in front of Peter, and Peter accepts it. And so for us today, it's it's challenging because here Peter is. Imagine knowing I'm going to end up on a cross giving my life for my savior. And many accounts say that Jesus wasn't just on, or Peter wasn't just on a cross, but he was actually crucified upside down because he asked to be done that way because he didn't want to be crucified the same way as his savior because he wasn't worthy to do so. And it came after he watched his wife be crucified and she hung there for 3 days. So this is the end that Peter has laid out for Peter. Yet he still chooses to go forward. And so for us today what are we being called to do? Where are we going, and what does our end look like we don't We don't know most people don't know we don't we go day by day, don't we? We don't know how it's all going to end but we can we can draw hope and strength here, seeing that even while Peter's being promised a a cross, he still walks it out the right way and then jesus it goes on to say at the end there this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. It doesn't get too complicated there, does it? It's still not complicated today. Jesus is saying to us, Follow me. That's it. That's simple. But see, and this again, this is the second time Again, there was the first time Peter was called, come follow me. And now Jesus has completed this restoration. Now he's, now follow me. Follow me. He says, follow me again. And, and again, this is the shadow of Matthew four nineteen, when he says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the, the interesting thing here is Peter follows him, but then he stops and he turns to John, doesn't he? got to love Peter. He turns to John and he inquires about him. Jesus, you know, he, he's like, what about this, the, the disciple that you love? What about this man here, John? And Jesus pretty much politely tells Peter to mind his business, his own business, doesn't he? And then he emphatically then says, if you look there at the end of verse 22, he isn't to say, follow me, He says, you, with an exclamation point at the end of this, you follow me. Again, that's it. Don't worry about anybody else. Don't look to anyone else. Keep your eyes on me and follow me regardless of what's to come, and I will lead you to where you need to go. Follow me. Follow Jesus. It's interesting, there's... um, In the aviation world, this is it's it's very against our human nature, but they're all different kinds. Whenever you're moving an aircraft, okay, especially these huge planes and things. All right, first off, when they're flying the air traffic control tower, they have all the control. If they tell you to go to a certain place and do a certain thing, you do it. Even though you, you know, you they're not seeing what you're seeing, but they're seeing the whole picture. Okay? When you land, especially if it's an airport that's smaller or you're not sure where you go, they actually have a truck, it's called the follow me truck. And it pulls in front of the airplane and it's like, follow me. It says this big sign in the back that blinks at the, and then they literally follow the truck. And if it drives off the end of the runway, the plane would just drive off the end of the runway. You follow. When we tow aircraft in my line of work, uh, when I'm driving the tractor, I, I can only see so much. I can't see everything. And so you have to depend and trust the people who are in charge are telling you they're waving you on. You can't see anything. And so they're guiding you. They're telling you to turn. You may feel like you're not supposed to or it looks like you're going to hit, but you have to trust the people that you're following. Follow me. And, you know, we have to keep our eyes on Christ, especially in the church. And, And guys, ladies and gentlemen, we have just a hard time doing this. I remember uh, I was serving as a volunteer on a a youth group staff years ago, and we all went to the youth pastor's house. And there was me and a couple of my friends, a bunch of guys, you know, that we just we were all single, had just served there. That's we just we were whatever they wanted. And so we went there, and it was almost like Christmas. In fact, it might have been Christmas. I'm not sure, but it was almost like Christmas, though, in that uh, it's like the youth pastor was starting to hand out responsibilities. You know, We'd been serving for a while, and so we were sort of this promotion thing, like everybody was getting their responsibilities. And I kid you not, everybody in the room got this promotion, like got this new responsibility, you know, whether it was in the worship department or coordinating the vans to pick up people, just some kind of responsibility. And then the conversation ended and I, I didn't get anything. I was sad. I was very sad, <laughs> and so I was even so sad that I, I later I went to the youth pastor. It's embarrassing, but I actually I cried. I cried. I broke down. I was like, "You gave out all of these positions, and I mean, you know, I'm the guy that's really expressed interest in ministry and things like that, and and you can't even get me like a, you know, a spot serving drinks at the." Beverage station or nothing, you know what I mean? Sweeping, chief sweeper or something. I didn't get anything, so you can understand my tears. And so, and so we had this long conversation. He felt horrible. I felt stupid because I was crying over this. And uh, but it, I was looking at my friends, at other people, instead of just being there to serve. And my my eyes got off my target, right? And I ended up you know, he explained later that he, he ended up putting me into a position where I was actually teaching the high schoolers, and it was a huge responsibility, but uh, it might have been because of my tears, I don't know, but, but, but the point is, is we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to keep, it's such a beautiful thing to say, but to do it is hard and painful at times, because you're going to see people around you, like, why did they get this, and I didn't get that, or you're comparing just put your eyes on jesus come back to this scripture and look at the exclamation point and just imagine jesus with his big finger in your face you follow me you follow me say that you follow me all right follow jesus and so this was important because again imagine this position where the disciples are jesus has just risen from the dead there was this whole new world there was it was like a new thing like what do we do now right all of the ways of the old ways are gone all the jewish traditions, everything is it's all now we're under the the new covenant of christ i mean think about that this one day you're you know sacrificing animals the next day you don't need to anymore and people are looking but some of your friends still are doing that they're still in that camp there's this Imagine this time where there's like, what do we, how does this look? You know, I mean, Jesus walked with them and taught them, but to go onward, I mean, they had to continue to follow Jesus, to, to learn and to, to walk it out. They had no structure or model which to go from. They simply followed Jesus, trusting eventually when the Holy Spirit came to lead them and to guide them. But again, it's just this huge uncertainty like, where, do, where are we going and what are we doing? You follow me. I recently was um, reading a book by uh, one of my uh, professors in Bible college. Her name's Dr. Carolyn Tennant, wonderful lady. And she, she wrote a book, and, and in it she talks about um, uh, an Irish saint called St. Brendan. Maybe some of you have heard of him or know him. He was well known for his navigation all over the world. He, he uh, if you can put up that other picture, his, his, the biggest thing that he was known for is he built something called, we say a coracle, or I guess in some places it's called a crock, okay? And it's this boat that's just made out of, all they do is take wood and then they take animal skins and cover the bottom of it and they, they oil them up and they, they do the seams so it's waterproof basically. And then they just launch out there's different versions of it but it's just wood with some leather on it right and so uh i believe it was the fifth century i think he was no sixth century early sixth century him and some other uh uh, monks they prayed and fasted okay they prayed and fasted for 40 days and then they set off on a seven-year voyage from ireland and they went to a lot of places, uh, Iceland, Greenland, and even there, it's believed that they even made it to the Americas a couple hundred years before Columbus did. Um, somebody by the name of Tim Severin in the 70s actually retraced this whole thing. He built a boat similar, and they set out across the ocean. And if you actually looked at the map and the currents of the waters and stuff, and it'll actually will, it would take you around there. And so but they, what, what it was, though, is they, they set out, and they literally trusted God— to lead and to take them where he wanted them to go. And as I read and as I listened to to my old professor uh, speaking about this, it just it stirred my heart because she was talking about if if they were around today, if if those kind of Christians were around today and they saw the state of the church. And the reality is, is we've gotten very comfortable and we've built solid structures and we stay we can just stay in one spot we can just be comfortable following jesus is supposed to be an adventure and it's supposed to be a bit uncomfortable at times because he's going to challenge you and he's going to stretch you when the disciples followed jesus and they were on the move all the time they were sleeping in many different places but they were following Jesus and they, were, they found rest and they found comfort in the fact because they were close to Jesus, close to the Savior and doing what he was calling them to do. And so the idea is and the question I want to ask today of you and us is what has Jesus called you to do? Now again, I'm not saying that you need to pack up your house and head out to the desert or, you know, just start walking. No, I'm, I'm just asking, what has Jesus called you to do? What has he called me to do? Where is he calling us to go? Kristen, if you could come. So... I was praying, again, I was praying through this and this has just really been on my heart. Next week, Pastor Steve's going to share some things really just about our church and kind of where we're at and, and give some clarity and some understanding. But it starts at the personal level. of What's Jesus calling you to do? But then I want us to broaden it a little bit to this. What is Jesus calling us to do? What is Jesus calling this church to do? And the big question is, are you willing to let him lead us and to take us where he wants us to, to go? See, the problem is, is if, if you look at this boat, the idea is, is as, it, as it leaves the shore, that's leaving the place of certainty, of comfort, and now don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about like doctrinal issues or theology. I'm not talking about crazy stuff, but I'm saying, what is Jesus calling us to go to? Really all your doctrine, your theology, it's kind of the boat, right? That's what keeps you floating and keep you going in the right direction. But are you willing to step off the shore? Are you willing to step out of your comfort? Are you willing to step into something that may, might look different than something you've been in before? I know many of us here We've been in churches for a long time, and we've seen things done the same way for a long time. And I'm not talking about being different just to be different. I'm talking about what is God wanting to do today with Crossroad International Church? Pastor Steve and myself, this is something we stay on our knees before God asking, where, do you, where is it that you're leading us as pastors? But ultimately, the whole church has to move together. We want you all in the boat. Okay? We want you all in the boat, but it starts in your own life. What is God calling you to do? What does it look like? Much like, again, Peter and the disciples the first time, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. But when, when the time came... Christ was crucified, all of them scattered. All of them scattered, all of them ran. But Jesus had a plan to bring them back. And this should be an encouragement to some of you here today. Maybe you're sitting there and you've done things or you're so far off track. Listen, I, I don't know if I've shared it here, my testimony. I was off track not that long ago, maybe five, six years ago, I'd hung up my boots, so to speak, of ministry, of ever doing ministry. I didn't, no, I didn't want it anymore. I'm like, I will be a Christian, (laughs) and I will get to heaven, but outside of that, I'm not doing much. And through an amazing series of events, God bringing certain people into my life, but ultimately me finding my focus on Jesus again, and saying, I will follow you in a Middle Eastern country, in Kuwait. God brought me back and has led me to the point where I stand now doing ministry, the thing he called me to, in the least place you would expect it. But God has a plan. So I want to challenge you today, get before God and ask Jesus, Jesus, where do you want to lead me? Jesus, where do you want to lead our church? And Jesus, give us the strength, give us the boldness to do it. Because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Again, we do this, 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 it's just a disservice to people when we present, we look for converts, and so we paint this beautiful picture of how great it's going to be to be a Christian. Everything's just going to go perfect, in your life you're going to hear music all the time, and wherever you step, flowers are going to come out of the ground. It's not like that, is it? Sorry, I'm going to preach a little bit today. It's just not like that. All of the disciples, with the exception of one, ended up crucified or martyred in some way for following Christ. True story. If you didn't see the fine print when you signed up, that's it's there. We're not guaranteed our comfort. But we're guaranteed a future. We're not guaranteed that everything's going to go just the way we want it, but we're guaranteed that our Savior will walk through it with us, that Jesus will be there, that he will be on the shore again, calling out to you, what are you doing, Ch- children? What are you doing? I never told you to do this, but come on. Let me restore you, and now follow me again. I believe the spirit of God is here today and he's He's doing something. He's ministering to us today, to some of you. Maybe he thought it's too late. I've messed up too much. Again, God loved Peter. Boasted about not ever leaving Jesus, that he loved him more than anybody else, but he ran just the same. He just... Betrayal is just horrendous, but Jesus loved him, and he demonstrated his ability to restore. Would you stand with me? Just bow your heads, if you would. really believe like I said I, I believe that some of us here are, are, are being stirred today and if if this message has applied to you if, if you feel like you've kind of just had one foot on the shore and one foot in the boat and you're just being stretched and you just you're not you' not been able to commit because you have your own plans or you have your own desires and you're afraid that if you get into the boat, You won't be able to accomplish those things which you want. Or there's been hesitation, or maybe you've seen a glimpse of what God's calling you to do, but you're terrified. And if that's you today, I just I want to ask you would you just raise your hand? I'm not gonna prolong this. Okay, I see your hands. Just as an act before Jesus, it's not for me. This is just between you and God. because so I just want to pray for you in just a moment. I'm going to pray that that fire, that, that flame in you would just be fanned and, and that God would just stir you and you would just get this picture of Jesus lovingly looking you in the eyes and asking you a question, do you love me? And if so, follow me again. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord God. We come before you just with open hands and some of us with broken hearts. This world, Lord, has a way to crush dreams and God, we can just be overrun sometimes with everything happening around us that we lose sight, Lord, of what's most important. We let go of your hand, Father. just as you promise to be our shepherd and that you're, you lead us and you guide us, Lord, on paths of righteousness, Father. But sometimes we let you slip too far away because we're distracted by something else and we lose sight of you. So right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each one here. God, that that we would once again truly put you back into focus. That we would be like Peter and just, without even thinking, leap off the boat just to get to you. To see your face again, to recognize you, and to once again follow you. Lord, I pray for this church, for Crossroad International Church, this young church, much like the church that we've been reading about in the Word today in its beginnings, so we are in our beginnings. And God, we would ask that you would lead us. Lead us. First as individuals in our own lives, but Lord, ultimately we want to be led as a body of believers to be effective and to change the world around us. Forgive us of our pride, Lord. Forgive us where we've taken things on that we never were supposed to. And Lord, I pray, God, that you just bring clarity to us the things we're supposed to let go even though they may seem good and the things that we're supposed to pick up and hang on to which you called us to do let us not look to our left or to our right to the people around us to what they're doing or their blessings or where you're taking them God but Lord let us lock our eyes and fix our eyes on you as our source and as our savior Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer today, and for loving us enough, Lord God, to to restore us and to call us to follow you again. In Jesus' name, Amen.